Joshua 3, 7. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you to Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. And it shall come to pass, when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as they that bear the ark were, were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zaratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. You may be seated. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And I, too, welcome you here today and greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus. We'd like to look together today about Joshua and his blessings. You might remember that we talked earlier about Joshua and his background, Joshua and the book, Joshua 1.8. Last time that I preached here, it was about the backslider and the believer. Remember, uh, Achan and Rahab. Today we'd like to talk about Joshua and his blessings, looking especially at, at Joshua chapter 3 through jo- chapter 3 through 5. And as I think about Joshua and his blessings, I think of our blessings, my blessings, and you might recall that the devotional today was something about blessings too, and I just couldn't say it any better than Nate Bang said this this morning, but I thank you for the blessing that you are to us, uh, to my family and I. We are so blessed to be part of the congregation here, and thank you for your contribution in our lives. I say amen to what Nate said this morning. Joshua and the people of Israel crossing the Red Sea, I'm sorry, crossing the Jordan River, as they did, as Glenn just read about. What does, that happened about 3,400 years ago. What does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with you? 
Well, in trying to answer a question like that, I would direct you to Second Timothy 3.16 that says, um, all scripture, notice that first word, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly or thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So that should answer that question. That Joshua and his people have to do with us? Well, it's part of the Bible. And all scripture is given for us. It's profitable for us in so many ways. If that text, Second oh, Timothy 3.16, doesn't kind of excite us, um, I think it's more of a commentary on ourselves than it is on the Bible, for sure. Another thing about this text, Genesis um, Josh 3 through 5, is that it is heavily laden with types by the word types. What are types? Well, a type is kind of a double representation meaning in the text. And in the Old Testament, he does that designedly for us to notice um, a type is when something that a person or an event uh, that physically, literally happens is a picture of the, something spiritual that will happen, be happening later. Um, just for instance, the nation of Israel that is, we notice in Joshua and throughout the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is a type of the church. The Old Testament nation of Israel a real, true entity all by itself is a type of the church, the spiritual body of Christ. That doesn't say that the nation of Israel is the same as the church. No, 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 but the church. Just like Joshua is a type of Christ in how he led the people of Israel into the promised land, so Jesus leads us into our promised land and ultimately the promised land of heaven. It doesn't say that Joshua is Jesus, but he's a type of Christ. It's a double representation. It's something literal and physical that reminds us of something of spiritual truth, a type. So as we look at the Israel uh, in today's text especially, uh, but lots of other places too in the Old Testament, the movements and the experiences of theirs, their blessings, are picture our blessings. So when we look at Joshua and his blessings, chapter 3 through 5 of Joshua, we are really also and especially looking at our blessings because their blessings were a picture of our spiritual blessings. And notice all blessings in Joshua 3 through 5 and the Old Testament and the nation of Israel the blessings that they had the nation of Israel and the Old Testament are especially physical blessings um, are you familiar with the verses in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10? Just for an example, that ver those verses say, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thy increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. 
Those are physical blessings. It was a physical people, physical blessings. In the New Testament, the church has never been promised physical blessings for obedience to God like Israel was in the Old Testament. Right? I don't think we can come up with any verse that we, that obedience to God will bring instant and good wealth and no problems, no issues. But spiritual blessings, just like if he says, spiritual blessings in Christ. So, I notice especially in these three chapters, let's look at those together. Five blessings that Joshua, the leader of the nation, and the nation of Israel as a whole experienced. They're a picture of what we are experiencing, the Church of Christ, or what we could be and should be experiencing. So the first one, of course, is the crossing. Notice that Chapters 3 and chapter 4, two chapters, are taken up by the crossing of the nation of Israel across the Jordan and into the promised land, into the land uh, um, with milk and honey. The first one is the crossing. <coughs> the crossing. God had told... Joshua, just a few days before this, Joshua 1-2, Arise, go over this Jordan. Arise, go over this. And I would suppose that Joshua's words ringing in his ears, and Joshua knew a little bit about the land across the Jordan. He had been there before. Remember about 40 years ago, guessing that the wonders of that land... That promised land had never left him. So he needed, because of the disobedience of others, had to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, years of futility. But he never forgot about the land of Israel, the the land of Canaan, the land of his dreams. But the question is, God said now that it's time. Those 40 years of futility are fulfilled. We're done. It's time to move across the Jordan. But how? The Jordan River, I understand, how would I know, I've never seen it, is typically about 100 yards wide, not real wide river, that, uh, as rivers go. That's just about the length of a football field, about 100 yards. But at this time of the year, verse 15, 3.15, Joshua 3.15, it was overflowing its banks, and as it does at harvest time, um, the waters from up north further probably um, melt uh, the snow probably from Mount Hermon and there's a lot of water and it fills about a mile depression the Jordan River Valley depression so that now the the river was probably about a mile wide that's even wider than the Susquehanna River at Harrisburg on the turnpike That might be pushing a mile. I don't think I ever checked that out. But a mile of rushing water. Um, So as Joshua and the nation of Israel came to the brink and looked across, oh, it was just water, water, water. How? How will we get across? 
What do you think of the discrepancy between verse 7 and verse 10 in Joshua 3? Glenn read that. In verse 7, God says, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel. And, and follows. In verse 10, Joshua says, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord is beginning to magnify me in the sight of you all today. Well, that's not really what he says, is it? He says in verse 10, And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out the inhabitants, and so on. And as I think of that, and do you see Joshua's humility here? God says, I'm going to magnify you. Joshua says, God is among us. Gene Getz has written, and I read, By rights, Joshua could have repeated exactly what God had said to him, but he didn't. There was no hint of pride or arrogance. His concern was that God be honored and glorified in what was about to happen. But think of the temptation Joshua must have faced. How easy it would have been to draw attention to himself and to attempt to build his own ego. And what greater opportunity to engage in a lot of self-glorification. God himself had spoken specifically to Joshua about the fact that he would exalt him. And then Mr. Getz goes on to talk about how that prideful men, or prideful people are often that fearful people are often susceptible to pride. And he says they often overreact to praise and honor. Their temptation towards self-exaltation is often greater than it is in people who are basically secure. So as we think about the crossing of the Red Sea and how God was working here, I am just so impressed with Joshua's response to the Lord's promise that of humility and pointing people not to him. It's not about, wasn't about him, but pointing people to the one true, powerful, living God. Verse 10. So, the Jordan River. And we say that this is a... And it's of what is happening in our lives. So what is your Jordan River? Have you crossed the Jordan, in your Christian experience? Or, or another question, when will it if you haven't yet? What about crossing the Jordan? Chile Jordan, as the uh, songwriter says. It's all, we understand, don't we, that the crossing of the Jordan is often a thought of as death and enter the heaven. Do you think of any songs that talk about that? Um, here's one when I come to the river at the ending of day when the last winds of sorrow have blown there'll be someone waiting to show me the way I won't have to cross alone I won't have to cross Jordan alone Jesus died all my sins to atone in the darkness I see he'll be waiting for me I won't have to cross Jordan alone here's another one there's a river somewhere that's called Jordan, 
and say that it's deep and it's wide. And they say that the king and the beggar on that shore will stand side by side. At the crossing of the Jordan, why should I be afraid? There will be someone there who loves me to guide me across the river. Endless joys above. You know those songs. And there's others that you could be thinking of, like I am bound for the promised land and so on, that speak of the Jordan River as that of death and crossing the bar to heaven itself. How does that seem to you? Does that seem right? I think so. I think so. I thank God for those truths that are expressed in those gospel songs like that. The truth of crossing the river to endless joys above, to that of entering the real promised land, the real land of milk and honey, the real land of our dreams, heaven with God and Christ forever and ever. What a day that will be. Another symbolism Perhaps even a better type crossing the Jordan is to consider our salvation experience as crossing the Jordan. Have you thought about it that way? Uh, when I was born again, when you were born again, uh, that was, and all things became new, just like uh, the New Testament would talk about. All th uh, yes, all things are become new. Um, new life in the new land. Sir, remember back how that was, those first days of becoming a, a, a Christian? And for, I know that for some of us, that was a gradual experience. But either way, we can look back and notice how wonderful that was and how light it seemed. Our, uh, the new life in the promised land and certainly the Christian life not just the beginning of the Christian life. Uh, maybe you don't even remember when you were born again. Maybe you can't point out a time. doesn't matter. But our pilgrimage through this life is like crossing the Jordan. It's a land of blessing. And one reason that I think that that might be just as accurate or maybe more so is that do you notice that Israel's real battles only began when they, after they crossed the Jordan. They had a, a number of skirmishes beforehand, but the real battles, look at the book of Joshua, chapter after chapter after chapter of battles and warfare. And for us, spiritually, it is that way, isn't it? So you were born again, I was born again, um, it was a time of ble and it is a time of great blessing, but there's battles galore. So we're in the process. We can say that we're we as Christians are in the process of crossing the Jordan as we speak. It's a land heading toward the. It's a, we're already there. We're getting there. Um, both of those pictures would be accurate and right. So whether it's the beginning of a new life in Christ here or beginning of eternal life in Christ over there, both of those pictures are very fitting, I think, and so precious to um, us who have been saved and are living by faith and obedience. Either way, isn't it wonderful? Thank the Lord that he has provided and provides and will provide for safe passage across that dark and chilly Jordan 
if we trust and obey like the nation of Israel did that day. So chapters 3 and 4, the crossing of the Jordan, a great blessing, safe passage over the Jordan. God provided for that. Joshua led, but it was God that arranged everything. And then I noticed chapter 5, verse 1. There's a lot more that we could see, um, tidbits and details about the crossing of the Jordan. Only one more, and that's in chapter 5, verse 1, and it came to pass. The next word there, when. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites and so on When, when that happened, everybody found out about it real fast. Now, I don't think that they had um, technology like we do, but something tells me that people, that what mentions the kings on both sides of the river, they heard about that. I think it was fast, and they, well, let's just say it in the words of the Bible, that their heart melted, neither was, there any, neither was there spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. Could, and I ask the question, could they have repented and obtained experienced mercy? Do you think they could have? Or, Well, I think of the Ninevites. Remember God said, uh, pronounced judgment on them? But when they repented, even at that late hour, God relented. And there's something about the nature of our sovereign God that when one repents, God relents. So I ask the question again, could have they repented? I think they could have. Rahab did. I think the rest of them could too. And that brings us down to ourselves today, to you and to me. What kind of a person am I? Am I a Rahab? Or am I one of those proud, haughty kings that are spoken of in 5.1 who are so fearful and unsaved and not willing to be saved even though God has made arrangements for them and for you? If you're here today and aren't saved, I would just plead with you, be a Rahab. Don't be one of those kings. There's still hope for you. You can repent. One of these days, it will be just too late. So we've talked about the crossing now. Let's think about verses 2 through 9 in chapter 5. And notice that that speaks of the blessing of the cutting. It's circumcision. And maybe you're like me and asking, what kind of blessing is that? Circumcision. For... But, but for Abraham and for the Israelites, that rite of circumcision was a reminder of the blessings that they enjoyed as being a covenant people with God, with the one true God. And them reinstituting circumcision here... Um, brought to them the blessing of a reunited covenant with their holy, holy, holy God. Circumcision, the cutting. The blessing of the cutting. I don't really understand the significance of circumcision. 
And what God must have had in mind with that painful blessing, because circumcision is painful, like you probably know, circumcision is a surgery of, of one's private parts. Why would God ask for that or insist on that? And again, let me say that this was, circumcision is for Israel. God never asks the church to do that, but Israel doesn't say that uh, folks in the church can't have that happen. might even be good uh, uh, for health and for cleanliness. But God doesn't ask the church for that. This is Israel that he's asking here in the text of being circumcised. I don't understand that. There's a lot I don't understand, but I do want to say that since God is sovereign, he can ask Israel to do whatever he wants. And not only that, but since God is good and has our best good in mind, that the only right thing to do is to obey, to trust and obey. So it's not for me to say, what do you think you're doing here, Lord? No, 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 no. Just because I don't understand doesn't say that it's an issue. Just bec- I, uh, Who am I to say, why are you making it hurt? Why do I have to do something that hurts, Lord? And even as we're thinking about physical circumcision in Israel, I hope that you're thinking about um, spiritual verities and truth. Sometimes God makes it hurt in your life, doesn't he? Mine and yours. It's not ours to ask, why are you making it hurt? It's only ours to trust and obey. To say, Lord, if it's, that's what you have for me, I'm willing to accept it and to do the best I can under it. The interesting part here for Israel, I think, is that why... Something else I don't really understand is that why would God ask them to go through the hassle of circumcision right now, at this point? They had just crossed the river, and all of hu- um, man's thinking would be that this is a perfect time now to keep advancing and go in and get Jericho quick while, they're, while they are demoralized, 5-1. Um, this would be a perfect time for a, a blitzkrieg. But instead, God says, no, now I want you, after the blessing of the crossing, God says, now it's time for the blessing of the cutting. It's time for a painful blessing. And do you think about how vulnerable they were? Because when that surgery was done with their sharp knives that, ta- that the text talks about, They were sore for quite a while. Verse 8 talks about that. And their enemies could have come into the camp and wiped them out, but they trusted God and obeyed God that he would take care of them. I'm so blessed by that, that apparently everyone in the camp, both men and women, were willing to obey in spite of the vulnerable place that it put them. And maybe you are thinking just now about a time that when you obeyed God, in spite of all earthly wisdom screaming, don't do that, but you were willing to obey God anyway. 
You are willing to trust and obey. If that hasn't happened, I'm just guessing that in your Christian life that could happen maybe sometime. God is sovereign. God is good. The blessing of the cutting. Now Israel's mission here, the nation of Israel's mission was to destroy the Canaanites and the Amorites that were so wicked and so vile that they had lost their right to live. And so God had, was, Israel was God's instrument to just do that, but isn't it, isn't it something that before Israel was to wield the sword, God asked them here to apply the knife to themselves. And that makes me think of a New Testament principle that's spoken of in 1 Corinthians 11.28 and 2 Corinthians 13.5 before they wielded the sword in judgment and justice on God's enemies they needed to apply the knife to themselves do you see before you judge anyone before I judge anyone there's something that God says in the New Testament that I do first, and that is to examine myself. 1 Corinthians 11.28, 2 Corinthians 13.5. I think those are two verses that I should consider and learn from more going forward. Well, we talked about the crossing and the, about the cutting. Verse 10 of chapter 5 speaks about the commemoration. Memory is such a blessing, you know. Memory is such a blessing. And maybe you're like Israel, maybe you're like me. You're so good at forgetting to remember. Here in verse 10 of chapter 5, the nation of Israel remembered the Passover and kept the Passover. They, God graciously gives commemorations in his spiritual family because he knows that helps us to remember. He, the good things, helps us to remember the good things that God has blessed us with. That was the case for the nation of Israel as they commemorated the Passover, which had happened 40 years ago, before that as they exited the land of Egypt. And now 40 years later, they commemorate that as they have just come into the new land, the new promised land. Memory is such a blessing, and the commemorations are such a blessing. So what kind of commemorations did they have? We already talked about the Passover. We didn't talk about the pile of 12 stones spoken of in chapter 3 and 4. We didn't talk about another pile of 12 stones spoken of in chapters 3 and 4. We talked about circumcision and, that, and the commemoration. That, that is, and helping to remember God's goodness and blessing. Now, what commemorations do, you, do we have here? We don't do stones. Uh, I have never seen a pile of 12 stones anywhere around here or outside or anything. But, but we do communion, don't we? And that is just kind of loaded with visuals and types and commemorations. The bread, the cup, uh, um, washing one's feet one another's feet and so on. There's baptism. There's the head veiling that you ladies wear. All of these are celebrations of remembering God's blessings to his spiritual blessings to his spiritual family. And then I think uh, 
By extension, can we extend it just a little bit further and think about our physical families too? There, there are times and places, are there not, where God has obviously blessed your family. God has blessed your family in so many good ways. And maybe even now, as you think about it, there's a couple that stand out to you. I'm thinking of two in our family. Maybe we should devise commemorations to aid in for us to remember and for our children to remember, and maybe our grandchildren too, and appreciating um, God at work in our family. Two that I think of. One of these we commemorate, and the other one, I think that I as the dad should come up with some commemorations. Uh, in 2003, uh, Wanda and I packed up our seven children in a motorhome and went west for four weeks. And it was a trip of a lifetime. And we saw so many wonderful things. You know, you've been there too, perhaps. Of God's creation, amazing. A trip of a lifetime. Our children... Uh, I think would agree that it was a high point of our family life and experience. And the, the way we often commemorate it is in June, every year, uh, we will talk about it often. And we might even text each uh, other or email and say, do you remember how that um, 15 years ago today, what we were doing? Remember we uh, were at... Uh, Crater Lake or at the Grand Canyon. Remember what happened? That, uh, we talk about it pretty much every year. Commemoration. Uh, physical blessings. And another one is that in uh, back in the 90s, and I think we should commemorate some creative ways. Our daughter Kathy, um, when she was six months old, she started getting seizures. And her seizures got worse and worse in the summer of 94. And nothing seemed to help. Nothing medical seemed to help. And the only thing that the medical people could do was just more medication and higher dosage of medication. All of a sudden, for no apparent reason, it was next thing to a miracle. Her, and it wasn't because of the medication, because we had... Taken, actually taken her off of that. Don't think that was too awfully wise, but when we took her off of medication, her seizures stopped. And she hadn't had one since. The next summer, she had been previously, and she is now, like you know, uh, um, let's just say she's pleasantly plump, shall we? But when she was one year old, in the summer of 95, she started getting skinny, and she got skinnier and skinnier so that her arms were almost like pencils. Not, not quite, but skinny. And there was nothing that we could do. Nothing helped. Wanda was desperately trying various things. All of a sudden, one day, for no apparent reason, she started gaining weight again, and she's been at it ever since. And we still don't know why, but it was next thing to a miracle. The next summer, she contact, when she was two years old, she contacted uh, double pneumonia and was at Hershey Medical for a week or so and a local hospital for another week or so and didn't get better for a long time, for quite a while. But she got better and hasn't had any physical problems of any account since. 
by that time we were getting almost scared of summers. But she's experienced 20-some summers since, perfectly good health. We are so blessed. And I think that we should commemorate that sometime, somehow. Maybe Kathy can help us come up with something good. We're talking about the blessing of commemoration. And then verse 11 Verses 11 and 12 talk about the new cuisine. Before, for 40 years, they had eaten manna. And now the manna stopped. Why did the manna stop? Another great blessing. Old corn that verse 11 and verse 12 mention actually means uh, produce of the land. Maybe the King James doesn't get it quite right there, but the original would more talk about produce of the land. So for 40 years they had been wandering in the wilderness and they couldn't grow gardens because they were just wandering all the time. They couldn't tend them, care for them. Of course not. And they were in the wilderness where probably nothing would grow anyway. They had no way to sustain themselves of food, so God provided it. Thank the Lord. But now they are in the promised land, a land of milk and bread and wine like some songs would indicate perhaps and so now God provides another way for them to eat and to be filled he they can eat of the land off the land and do you notice in verse 11 there's two words one called unleavened and one word uh Parched, unleavened, parched. Do you see that both of those indicate that there needed to be some preparation? Unleavened and parched. Before, they just ate uh, the manna. It fell from heaven. It was angel's food, like the Psalm 77 says. It was corn of heaven. And it came from heaven and fell on the ground. They only needed to pick it up and put it in their mouth and chew a little bit and digest. But now they, there is more for them to do. They need to prepare the food. Does that sound like your experience in life? Does that sound like your experiences in life? Sometimes God just, um, uh, in his goodness, gives, you, gives us things um, that we don't deserve, that, that we don't have anything to do with. Other times God gets us to work and faithfully serve as he gives us those blessings. I think the previous point about the commemoration, the blessing of commemoration, speaks of spiritual blessings. And I think that this point, the, uh, the cuisine, the food, speaks of physical blessings. The physical blessings that he showers upon each and every one of us, each and every day of our lives. And that makes me think of the sermon last Sunday. Do you remember that Marvin Kaufman was here? And one of the things about that sermon on the grace of God that stood out to me was the story that he told about his uncle Christ. Now, his uncle Christ was one of my grandparents, my, one of my grandfathers. And that story made me think of both of my grandparents. Um, they, they were two Christians of very few Christians that I have learned to know in my lifetime. You understand that they were both named Christian. My grandpas were Christian Byler and Christian Kaufman. Well, 
Remember Marv said how that when people complained to my grandpa Kaufman about the weather, he would might reply by saying, this is the day the Lord hath made, we will be glad and rejoice in it. Well, that was of interest to me because, number one, it was challenging, and number two, it was something about my grandpa who died when I was nine that I had never known. My mom said afterward that, oh yeah, she remembers that he used to say that. So we're talking here about blessings of the Lord and how to respond to blessings. That's how he would respond. My other grandpa, Grandpa Byler, would often say, kind of on the same subject, about the weather. He would say that there's nobody that depends on weather, that is as dependent on the weather as farmers, and there are few people that complain less about the weather than farmers. For some reason, I thought of those and I think I could learn from both of my grandpas there. As I think of the blessings of Joshua and the nation of Israel and the physical blessings that we enjoy so much every day of our lives. Well, the fifth blessing, and you guessed it, it's verses 13, 14, and 15 in Joshua 5. The commander. We've now talked about the blessing of the crossing and how God arranged all that. We've talked about the strange blessing of the cutting and how God brings blessings in the midst of pain. We've talked about the blessing of commemorations and remembering God's goodness to us. We've talked about the blessing of cuisine, the food, and how that we have so many physical blessings that God blesses us with every day. Now let's talk about the commander. This was this man that Joshua saw with a drawn sword. He was the invincible commander-in-chief of heaven's invincible armies. And that invincible commander-in-chief was gracious enough to arrange a meeting with a lowly human soldier like Joshua. And we could put ourselves in that same place and say that God is gracious enough to arrange to meet with us personally, and certainly us as a group. Did Joshua not realize that the battle was the Lord's? Did Joshua not know previously that it's God that will pull them through? That it's God and not his own strength or cunning or strategy or anything like that. Did Joshua not realize that the battle was not his but the Lord's? Well, look at Joshua 1-2. Now, um, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them. God had told him before that it's God's doing. And we could look at verse 11 of chapter 1. Which the Lord your God giveth you. It's not dependent on human strategy or effort, but it's God. Look at verse 13. And look at verses, uh, chapter 3, 7 and 10. And look at chapter 4, 22. Uh, I just break in there. Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. That, verse 24, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that he is mighty. 
And that was Joshua saying that. So the question, did, Moses, did Joshua not know? Yes, he knew that. He knew that well. He certainly he did. But I think he must have been like us. He needed to be reminded every once in a while. He needed to be reminded yet again that it wasn't up to him. It was God's working. And can you imagine uh, how that the, when the commander-in-chief said that, as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. When those words came out of his mouth, don't, can you imagine how that the burden that was resting on Joshua's puny shoulders just transferred to the almighty commander's shoulders? And I think the Lord would have us be thinking about how he is wanting to do that to me and to you even now. I think that Joshua rose from his knees. He, he had fallen on his face. He was on his knees. When he arose from, from his knees and that burden was lifted, protection, victory, blessing. It was all assured because of the commander of the hosts of heaven. We're just about ready now to kneel in prayer. And I'm just guessing that you might have a burden or two that should be transferred once again to the almighty commander's shoulders because he can handle it so much better than you can, than I can. So I trust that if you're here with burdens, that as you kneel and then rise up again like Joshua did that somehow the Lord will take those burdens and assure you of the protection and the victory and blessings that only God can do but that he can do so well because he is the almighty perfect sovereign good God Joshua and his blessings you and your blessings me and my blessings. Thank God for everyone. Let's kneel together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's forever settled in heaven, and I pray that it could be settled in our hearts too. I think of that passage in, in Joshua, chapters 3 through 5, as we notice the many, many blessings that you showered on the nation of Israel at that time, we're awed by that and are so thankful for your uh, provision and protection for them. But even beyond that, we understand that those are all types of what should be and could be happening in our hearts and lives right now in the life of the church of Jesus Christ and the individuals that constitute the church. And I pray, Lord, that we could appreciate our blessings more. The many, many, many physical and spiritual blessings that you shower upon us, that we can appreciate it more and that we can appropriate it better as we go from here. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, for your power working in our lives and the blessings that you give us. Oh, that we could uh, pass those on to others, that we could um, use them for the benefit of others 
Thank you, Lord, most of all, for salvation full and free. Thank you for that almighty commander in chief that we can trust. Thank you for the hope of heaven oh, across the Jordan. One of these days we'll be there. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.